Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra. Thank you for listening. <clears throat> if this is your first episode, welcome. I'm happy to have you here, regardless of your race, sexual orientation, or gender identity. The Weird Tales Podcast believes that trans rights are human rights, that abortion is health care, and that black lives matter, and we stand in solidarity with you all. Transcripts of the show, as well as links to institutions fighting for reproductive justice, can all be found in the show notes. So, let's talk for a second about Amazon. Amazon is not great. We know that. They have some really bad business practices, they value profit over people, and they run their employees and they run their employees into the ground and then reanimate their lifeless corpses to get a few more months of free labor out of them. And my book is on Amazon. If you want to order it and give me some money for my labor of love, you have to give them money for their factory of fascism. I know a lot of people don't like that, and I totally agree with them. And if you know of some other place I can put my book up for sale, please let me know. I'll be happy to go through them, because fuck Beesbo. That said, if you want to read my book, but don't want to give Beesbo any money, I am perfectly happy to cut out the middleman and sell to you directly. Send, send me an email, theweirdtalespodcast at gmail.com, and we'll work it out. Currently, it would only be a digital copy, so it wouldn't cost a super lot, and really, I just want my book out there in the world and read by as many people as possible. So, send me an email if you want to work something out. I'd love to get my book into your hands however I can. Alright, this is the conclusion of The Sweating Shop by Madeline Swan. Please go and get a copy of her book, The Sharp Side of the Rainbow, and follow her on Twitter. All links in the show notes. Thanks so much, and let's get to the story. I awoke the next morning far too late. The clatter and yells of city life were well underway, and I was horrified to see on the hallway clock that it was half past ten. I dressed in a hurry and rushed downstairs, feeling as though I had slept through the end of the world. I almost crashed into Mrs. Williams in the vestibule, tray laden with tea, toast, and a small white envelope. I'm awfully sorry, ma'am. Abigail died this morning. I'm awfully sorry, ma'am. Abigail died this morning, early hours, she said before collapsing into tears. I took... I'm awfully sorry, ma'am. Abigail died this morning in early hours, she said, before collapsing into tears. I took the tray from her and bid her sit with me in the parlor, but she assured me she had too much work, though thanked me profusely. I sat on the couch, barely feeling the fire or tasting the bread. When I felt able, I attacked the envelope. (sighs) When I felt able, I attacked the envelope, finding a curt missive from Uncle urging me to insert an ad for a new housemaid. I couldn't stay in the house another moment, and ordered the stable hand to set up the carriage and drop me at Oxford Street. I stood in the garden while I waited, shivering, though I wore a heavy shawl. Though the city is much in decline during the winter months, Oxford Street was still cluttered with carriages and nervous horses. All manner of retail was found here, from gin palaces to saddlers to coachmakers and cheesemongers, delicate toiletries, and the finest of clothes. The smell of coffee, roast chestnuts, eels, potatoes, pies, and lard pastry poured from vendors. Toys and sweets beckoned to children, and I found myself entering a confectionery shop, perhaps yearning for simpler days. 
A group of youngsters, accompanied by a finely dressed woman, picked out humbugs and tiger nuts, warning each other to mind the grit and insects inside. I approached the counter where a young man took my order of a raspberry tart for each house member and a box of toffees for myself. Very well, miss, he said cheerfully. I wished I could be so carefree and played the part of happy mistress. Do your parents own the shop? That they do. That they do, he replied before nattering about his father's friend who visited twice each week. Apparently, he part owned the shop and was very good at funny voices. I struggled to listen, my character waning, feeling selfish for not being more interested. I pushed on. I suppose you'll run it in time. Not a chance, he said, eyes wide with horror. I'll be sailing to the Americas with my mate John, smart as a penny he is. I then endured another tedious speech about his friend John, but by the time it was over, I felt odd. My heart hopped like a rabbit and my blood poured thickly through my veins. <clears throat> Each fresh word he spoke had me salivating. Oh, best get on, he said, suddenly nervous. I paid, and, I paid and left quickly, unsure how I felt, and nibbled at a toffee to calm myself. That evening, Uncle returned while I cross-stitched a robin, carrying a large paper bag. I assume the uncle is carrying the large paper bag, and she's not cross-stitching a robin carrying a large paper bag, because that would just be silly. He, sa <clears throat> he sat in his armchair, smiling at me, while Fisher poured the sherry. What? I said playfully. Just admiring your talent. Matilda never had the patience for that sort of thing. I stopped abruptly. I'm sorry, I upset you. Oh, no, I just... I forget. My aunt, you know. Of course. He leaned forward and patted my knee. I forced a smile. I'm glad more than ever to have such a calming presence at home. Being around you is like a dose of tonic. Really? I was so proud, as though I'd just discovered my use in the world. Absolutely. All our troubles at the factories are soon to be over, if I could just convince Mr. Elwood to sell his shares. It's going to take a lot of money, though. A lot. But when he does, we won't have to worry for a long time. Otherwise... His expression was distant, as though he saw our future in a snow globe. There was too much in that otherwise. Hands lurked inside it waiting to tear off the roof and leave us exposed. He reached for the bag and handed me the box inside. It was a darling felt hat sporting three embroidered flowers. What did I do to deserve this? I cried. <clears throat> Whatever luck it is you're bringing me, keep bringing it. He fixed me with a singular look, then passed me the sherry. The tarts were much appreciated, and things improved over the fortnight, especially after I employed Millie, who was possibly too young, but seemed pleasant and sensible unless the subject of God was broached. I overheard the others complain of her as a creeping Jesus, but her work couldn't be faulted. The house began to lose the feel of the unfamiliar, shrinking to fit me. I settled into a routine of watching from the windowsill, then doing the accounts, a brisk walk in Hyde Park or an afternoon out, followed by reading or stitching in the parlor. Without Violet harassing me into activities every hour, I was free to indulge. <clears throat> the overtures from the other ladies of the area increased, and I received an invite to tea Friday week. Then, Thursday afternoon, Fisher entered the parlor with a telegram. Everything? 
Everything all right, madam? Millie asked after I made a strange involuntary noise. It's, it's Violet. It's my sister. The boy wants to know if you have a return message, said Fisher. Um, yes. Tell them I'll meet her as soon as possible at the address she gave. I asked the driver to stop at the sweet shop on Oxford Street, hissing at the sharpness of the wind. Sugar and treacle smells tempted me, and I pretended to browse until the harassed-looking woman was free. Can I help? A scoop of rose acids, please. Tell me, I said as she filled the white paper bag, where is that darling lad I was chatting to? He was such a character. Not here no more, madam, she responded coldly. I'll be a penny. Not here? Well, did he go to the Americas after all? I affected the tone of an ignorant society lady, although my voice wobbled. <coughs> He's not in America, she all but snarled. He's dead. He's dead. The look she gave me was one given to a killer, which, in truth, I was. The shop filled with hordes of governesses and their wards, but I had to know more. Was it smallpox? Consumption? She saw in my controlled desperation that I knew more. No, she breathed. It was... All in now, it was a what thing, horrible thing. Her eyes sharpened. You tell me what you did and tell me now. You tell me now. The last was an ungodly yell, and I barged through the crowd and out the door, certain she was right behind me. I threw myself back into the carriage and banged on the side to G the driver, but when I looked back, all I saw through the window were the governesses patting her on the back and her shoulders slumped, hands covering her eyes. <coughs> We pulled up outside the Royal Cambridge Music Hall in Shoreditch. I realized I had been digging my nails into my arm, though thankfully my gloves had protected me from marks. As I neared, I heard a woman and a piano practicing a light-hearted ditty, and nobody stopped me pushing the doors open. We're closed! We're closed, said a woman sharply from the audience seats. She was joined by a few performers, evident from the nonchalant way they sat, and a dwarf's presence. <coughs> I'm here to see Violet. Oh, right. The woman appraised me insouciantly. She'll be out in a bit. I took a seat and watched the performer, a plump sort, taking the part of a housekeeper who couldn't help rifling through her tenant's things whilst cleaning, though she didn't like to gossip. It was most amusing. Just as the dwarf announced he was off to blow a cloud, she walked in from backstage. I hardly knew how to react. I was afraid she would tell me she'd changed her mind, that she didn't wish to see me after all, and I would have to walk out with everyone jeering. I knew it was ridiculous the moment she pulled me into an em I knew it was ridiculous the moment she pulled me into an embrace that made me groan from its tightness, and when I pulled away I was embarrassed to feel a tear on my cheek. Oh Talia, you soppy thing, she laughed with a distinct laziness of the vowels. I didn't comment, allowing myself to be led outside for a walk and a chat. We passed the most frightful and sallow people who looked in need of a good meal. Stray dogs were shooed from the bakery and butchers, and a bunter picked up rags with withered fingers. To our left was an enormous wholesale draper filled with marvelous blankets, though the workers most certainly didn't own one themselves. I thought of Uncle and the sweating shop and the poor things spending every hour stitching. I tingled with horror and joy that it wasn't me. <sighs> How are you? She turned to me, very serious, and said, I knew Uncle would try something like this. He used to sit, he used to insist you sit right next to him while he read to you. You don't have to put up with it, you know. 
I do well with my singing. I've met some exciting people. Authors, authors, actors, dancers, courtesans. You could come and work for me. Courtesans, I shrieked, and she gave me a look. That's right, she lifted her chin. I'm becoming quite well known. Lord Hatton himself said I was the chammiest bit of jam. Goodness. Talia, don't you get fed up being around those types? What do you mean? Well, they started that big wheel in Earl's Court back in March, and most people in the East End can't afford bread. And you saw the way he keeps people in squalor. Uncle isn't building the wheel, I scoffed. No, but it's his sort. She pulled her shawl tighter, and I kept my eyes ahead, furious. There was a brief silence. I was going to ask if you wished to stay with us, but you seem quite happy. I was going to ask you if you wished to stay with us, but you seem quite happy. I couldn't see how she could be, traipsing from place to place, not knowing where the next bed or meal would be. Isn't it dangerous? You hear of girls who go missing or find no work when the public loses interest or attracts the attention of killers or— Goodness me! Violet cackled. No one will lose interest. Although— her voice filled with mischief and drama. It can be rather dangerous. Miss Shirley back there said she knows a dog trainer who was supposed to be at the Canterbury Hall in Lambeth, only she never showed up. Her dogs did, in cages. Those little Chinaman things, you know, but no one's seen her since. What do you think happened? I was afraid for Violet, but unmistakably thrilled. They say it was an old admirer, the son of the Duke of Hastings. They used to pal about, but she threw him for the owner of Hepley's Greengrocer. Look at that! She pointed to a dress in a window, and I was shocked when she strolled right in and purchased it. Well, that'll do for my tea. That'll do for my tea with the Ridgers. Violet, do you remember when you fixed that dress of mine with those pink patches? I tottered about so proud, but people must have known. It didn't matter at the time, I suppose. Come to watch me sing. Come to watch me sing, she said urgently. Please. I can't tonight, I averted my gaze. I, I will next weekend, I promise. Wonderful! She squealed so loudly that faces turned our way. I'll be at the old mow next week in Drury Lane. I obliged her by being suitably impressed, and the flesh returned to her cheeks. It won't be too taxing, she said, affecting sophistication. I've done bigger. That night, as I brushed my hair in my room, I mauled over Uncle's words. Otherwise. Otherwise. I thought of the failed musician in The Yellow Book, a great talent doomed to play lowly establishments. I thought of the withered people in the sweating shop, and my left knuckles ached at the memory. I got into bed and waited for sleep. Each time I thought it was coming, it became clear I wasn't close. I pulled my pillow to me as though for protection, and got out of bed when the first bet and got out of bed when the first bird sang and sat at the window. The market carts had begun, and there was the little pure collector darting from pile to pile. I grabbed a dress I'd not worn before, not bothering with the corset, and searched for a shawl and a pair of shoes from the back of the cupboard. I couldn't find a veil, so tilted a large hat, then fetched up the box of toffees and tiptoed downstairs to the back door. I listened for movement, and hearing none, went out to the back garden, barely noticing the cold. I started when I heard the groom's wheelbarrow. I started when I heard the groom's wheelbarrow and snuck behind one of the few trees. Once I heard the spade scrape over concrete, I continued, softly opening and closing the gate 
and sneaking down a side street, taking care to remember the way. If I was lost, I would never live down the shame, even if my only crime was to be known as a woman who would go out at night alone. It was from the opposite angle to my house that I approached the long Piccadilly Road. Keeping my head as far down as possible, I advanced towards the little girl. One or two of the cart drivers glanced my way, and spying the confectionery, no doubt took me for an eccentric do-gooder. Gotta get on, she grumbled, scooping up a lump. Gotta get on. Gotta get... <clears throat> Gotta get on, she grumbled, scooping up a lump of manure with her bare hand and slapping it into a wicker basket. Close up, I saw just... Uh, it's a kid. Gotta get on, she grumbled, scooping up a lump of manure with her bare hand and slapping it into her wicker basket. Close up, I saw just how tiny her calloused fingers were and the childish roundness of her face. Spare me just a moment. Perhaps you'll like these. I held out the toffees. She eyed them ravenously. All right, quick then. Wonderful. Perhaps we could sit? Can't. Then no toffees. Her brevity was off-putting, and I was preparing to give up on her when she agreed to follow me, dark eyes hard with suspicion. We leaned against a cafe, and I opened the box, handing a soft square to her. She took it with her clean hand, and I tried not to linger on her stained digits and filthy nails. She smelled of contamination and neglect. She choked after barely chewing, drawing further glances from the market traders. I lowered my head. Calm yourself, there are more. Tell me, do you enjoy your work? She, she shrugged and stared at the sweets. You must wish for more in life. If there was one thing I could get you that you'd like more than anything, what would it be? She shrugged again, her knotted hair catching the first light of the day. My breath caught in my throat. Tell me, or no more sweets. The girl rolled her eyes. Dunno. Tiddlywinks, I suppose? I handed her another toffee, and this time she took care to chew, though barely. There must be more. Surely you want to be something when you grow up. She snorted. Tell me. I'd like to help you. I've helped others. She looked at me anew with hope. I heard some girls work in shops, selling flowers and that, or toys. I look after my little brothers and I can get them things, I don't know. She again looked at the ground. I feel funny. It had been brief, but enough. I was lightheaded. She seemed suddenly fragile, her thin frame sagging. Here, I said, handing her the whole box. She thanked me weakly. She thanked me weak she thanked me weakly, but I didn't look back. Uncle showed me his new pipe when he returned, and I put down my lady's pictorial. And I put down my lady's pictorial, waiting for a big announcement. It never came, though he was in a pleasant enough mood. Did anything happen today? Um uh not that I can recall, such as Did anything happen today? Um not that I can recall, such as... Before I responded, he... Oh, okay, I got this, I got this now. <clears throat> Did anything happen today? Um, not that I can recall, uh, such as... Uh... Before I responded, he burst out, We did strike a deal with the cheaper wholesalers, but nothing too much. Rather insignificant, really. 
Rather insignificant, I repeated. A little insignificant thing. It stood to reason that she would have little impact. I needed someone more important. I was exhausted at the idea of doing it again, but I had no choice. I pretended to listen as he talked, all the while planning my next move. I would pass the haberdashery on the way to Drury Lane and fetch some pink material. No doubt that would stimulate nostalgia and get her talking. Of course, I couldn't watch her performance. It was on far too late, and I would be safely ensconced before she noticed a thing. I decided on wearing the hat with the three embroidered flowers. That would do nicely. And that is the end of the story. Please feel free to help support me and the show by ordering my book, either through me or through Amazon, but really, I get more money if you order a digital copy through me, or by joining me on Patreon. Every dollar goes back into the show and helps support hosting fees, guest readers, equipment, and gear upgrades slash repairs. Thanks to Matthias Hansen, Eric Braun, and JR for your support. Please go and get vaccinated for anything and everything you are eligible for. If you see a racist out and about and doing a racism, throw a wet teddy bear at him. And always remember that the most important step a person can take is always the next one. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.